Warning, this show has been known to cause certain side effects in listeners and participants alike. Symptoms include a positive outlook on life, wanting to try new things, and a renewed faith in humanity. Enjoy at your own risk. Hey there, and welcome to the I Like to Like Things podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and thanks for joining me. I don't think I have to tell you that the world can be a dark and scary place for us all. And I'm here to help you get through the miasma of that negativity one episode at a time. Now to accomplish this, I have a guest tell me about their favorite thing, and we get to share in their enthusiasm. Now the catch is, I'm not already a fan of their thing. However, I realize that it's easy to like something as long as I had an excited person explaining while their thing was great. And so this podcast and all its potential positive feelings is born from that. And for today's episode, we have Ellen Weatherford from the Just the Zoo of Us podcast. So Ellen, how's it going? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I have a uh, A A&W root beer next to me it's it's super enjoyable <laughs> it's one of my faves this one's made with aged vanilla i don't know what that means i feel like that just means like old beans that they found but it's still tasty <laughs> i have an iced coffee with pumpkin spice Ooh. flavored creamer oh really it's so <laughs> yeah. good my my wife elise makes a killer pumpkin bread and she really only busts it out during like September and October and November but she adds um, a little bit of ginger to it to the mix and then she adds a little bit of chai spice to it as well instead of like like allspice or nutmeg she adds chai to it it's it's killer you're so. speaking my language <laughs> <laughs> right I know oh, what, what's even better Oh man, uh, this is very decadent, but it's, uh, <laughs> she will sometimes slice it fairly thin and she'll use the pumpkin bread to make French toast out no. of And no. <laughs> it's, I know, right? And it's so good. It's so thick. It's very rich, but how good it is. Cause I know everyone like, oh, you gotta use brioche or whatever. Like no pumpkin bread, banana bread, any of those like quick breads. Oh man. So, you, uh, so uh, tell everybody about your show. I, I can, man, we're not talking about pumpkin. That's funny. <laughs> tell everyone about just the zoo of us. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Thank you. So, uh, like you said, just the zoo of us. We're a another safe for work uh, podcast, so you can listen with your fam. Uh, and our whole thing is that we talk about animals in a very specific way. We review them and we rate them out of 10 in different categories that really give you a comprehensive idea of the animal's physical adaptations and the sort of behaviors that it's using. And then, of course, we got to top it off by talking about um, their aesthetics and how nice <laughs> they are to look at and just <laughs> the cool things about how beautiful each animal is. So, um We go back and forth between I do episodes with my husband. Um, Neither of us are zoologists. I will go ahead and put put that out there. Um, But we do a lot of really thorough research to make sure that all of the facts that we're presenting on the show are trustworthy. Um, and then when we're not doing episodes together, I actually do interview episodes where I bring on people who are experts. <laughs> so I'll bring on zoologists or ecologists or, you know, anybody who does some sort of work or research with these animals and they will come on and share their expertise and their enthusiasm and excitement about these animals. So <laughs> I definitely am, am feeling like a connection <laughs> with, you know, just bringing the enthusiasm enthusiasm for different topics, which I, I feel like there's some overlap there. So um, yeah, we it, it's meant to be largely, you know, educational about wildlife science and talk about a lot of different concepts in ecology and evolution. And so it's a really fun ride. <laughs> it's also, um, you know, like we said, safe for work. So anybody that listens with their kiddos around is welcome to join in on the fun too. Um, and that's us. We just talk about animals every week and have a great time of it. It's so smart to make a show safe for work if it can be. Now, I understand, like, a lot of the podcasts I listen to are not safe for work. But I, when I find a show that I can listen to with my girls, 
uh, it's fantastic. A show that we can all enjoy because they love podcasts. They they do, and and everyone that's a Patreon supporter knows that my oldest uh, will do has done a ton of Patreon episodes with me. But uh, kids are a huge uh, are, kids are a huge demographic for podcasts, and. If you can find a show, the whole oh yeah, my kiddo loves to listen in the car with me too. Like he he loves to uh, he likes uh, brains on uh-huh. the little science podcast. Um, he loves stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's just a little science podcast that you know each episode goes into a different topic and it's presented in a very like kid uh, kid friendly and like it definitely speaks the kids language you know like they use a lot of like fun little skits and sound effects and stuff like that it's really cute and my kiddo loves it so we like to listen to that in the car and it helps him kind of it just helps him learn a lot about things that like I otherwise wouldn't be able to teach him or he might otherwise not be learning in science class so we we I think podcasts are underutilized resources in learning with your kids oh and uh, when we were when I was a kid my mom we used to buy cassette tapes of like audio dramas, like kid audio dramas, and we ate those up. And so, uh, and like books on tape uh, and audiobooks, of course, started to replace that. Uh, but like my girls love The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, they love that one. And then Molly of Denali, which ended up being a show, um, eventually turned into a TV show, they love that podcast. But there's just, there's a lot of very fun. Um, pocket and then of course there's just ones that you can have in the background so it's <laughs> just like you know they might not like this one but I could have it on while I'm making dinner or or, or whatever <laughs> so it's so good well okay so uh, I, I have a feeling everyone's probably gonna guess what your thing is uh, about in, in the general <laughs> sense okay so Ellen what is your thing today my thing is Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> no. <laughs> right, so I would be remiss. Like I know what snakes are. I've seen snakes. Um, I was a I was an eight year old boy at one you get time. Snakes. So like snakes were 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 cool. But I don't know if I've ever would say that I could never say that I was a fan of snakes. So so but so what led to your like your fandom like what was like your first experience or how did you like become the fan that you are today so i would say that my first like experience with snakes because you know growing up um i wasn't around snakes close up um so they were kind of like i i appreciated them from a distance but it was definitely not something that i felt super comfortable being you know i wouldn't just reach out and grab one or anything like that you know i was definitely like from a distance and then I think the first time I got to really have like hands-on experience with a snake was when I started working at a pet store um, that sold them and so my job was to (laughs) handle the snakes Uh, and so you know there would be times where I would be it, it would be early in the morning and I'm one of very few people there and my job is to clean the reptile enclosures which means you know you have to dump out all the bedding and put new bedding in there and in order to do that, you have to pick up the snake to remove it from the enclosure. Um, and so <laughs> I remember very clearly the first time it was my job to do that. And I just had to sit down and like hype myself up like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to reach reach in there and grab that snake. And it's just going to have to be fine. Um, so I had to kind of learn the hard way. Uh, but then, you know, once I got used to it, I was so comfortable. You know, I would like any time, sometimes if it was a, a slow day, you know, a kid would come in and be looking at the snake and snakes in our like on our sales display and I would be like oh do you want to see it and I would just like get it out and show it off and you know let them on my arms and shoulders and stuff so I think that just gradually over time by like working around them I got much more comfortable with them Um, and then just through the course of like doing the podcast that we do I had an opportunity to really learn a lot more about snakes um, and learn about their ecology and learn about why they're important and just like I got to learn so much 
much more that now I have a much deeper appreciation for them. Um, I, I'm glad that you you mentioned that like you kind of already have an idea of like I wanted to kind of do a temperature check on like how you feel about snakes, like where we're at. I know like you know snakes are like one of the most common phobias in the world. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of check on like where we're landing currently on the snake feelings spectrum. So, so for me, I, I've always liked reptiles. I had a, I had an iguana growing up as a kid and we have tortoises for our, our pets currently now. And, um, snakes are very common where I live in Southern California. So we, uh, like I, I personally seen a, like a, like a six foot long, gopher snake in our front yard and, and things like that and uh it, it's common for my area for you to make sure that you watch high grass for rattlesnakes diamondback rattlesnakes and things things like that um so but i i like them i'm not like afraid of them i i know that there's a lot of common misconceptions about them but like my wife though elise she is is absolutely not a fan so when we do our response episode, I know it's going to be a, uh, <laughs> I know it's going to be a labor of love for her to, to do it. But I'm like, I'm all in for knowing about them. I know that they're important. <laughs> I know that they keep the rodent population down and, and things like that. But, uh, I've never, I, I've never touched a snake. Um, what was the snake that you first pulled out of the, of the cages? Not cages or their habitat or whatever at the, it, at the Cage is like a decent word. Yeah. It's... <laughs> We just called them cages, even <laughs> right. though it wasn't like a bar cage. It was like a, you know, like plexiglass sort of thing. But but like, what was that snake? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it was a ball python, which, I mean, if that's, if you're going to pick up a snake, that is an excellent one to okay. be your first one. <laughs> the ball python is like the go-to chillest snake ever. They're the most like, I think probably the most common pet okay. snake to have, just because of how docile and calm they are um they're they're called a ball python because they like roll up into a ball uh <laughs> and so they're not likely to strike at you when you like reach for them especially if you have one that's already used to being handled we had one in particular in the two years that i worked there we had one that was particularly mean um, and it was uncharacteristic. It was unusual that we had one that was was very uh, kind of aggressive um, and would actually sometimes strike at people when they would reach down into there. And so eventually I think somebody that worked at the store just took him home because <laughs> nobody was going to buy him because he was kind of, kind of a mean little dude. Uh, but ball pythons are like super calm and chill. Um, eventually through getting used to the ball pythons, uh, I, then I started to make my way up to like getting used to picking up the corn snakes, which I think like <laughs> those are a little more nerve wracking because they're very, very small and skinny. So like it's harder to get a good grip on them. Whereas a ball python, you can just reach your hand in there and like grab it with your fist basically <laughs> because they're all kind of coiled up into like a ball so but they're you know you said like you haven't touched one so what what like what do you what do you think it feels like <laughs> to touch a snake well i assume that it's probably fairly like, similar what would your to your guess be like it, like I, I assume it's very similar to like when i would grab my iguana um my iguana's tail because it was fairly large and I know, so it's, I, as long as you're going with, uh, this is going to sound, with the grain, that I assume it's actually pretty smooth. Um, and, and like very, uh, for, for lack of a better word, very meaty feeling. Um, like, like pinching the, um, pinching the meat around your thumb in terms of like texture. But the outside would probably feel like 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 a lizard's tail, which I've touched. Yeah, I would say that a lizard is rougher than a snake. Like oh, in my experience, I, I have touched an iguana too. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the there was a, a person who would come in and bring their. We didn't sell iguanas at the store I worked at, but there was a, a customer who would come in and bring their pet iguana. Um, the pet iguana was much rougher, I think. Okay. Um, and this with a snake, it was a much more like you can't. It, it's like a smooth but a slightly bumpy um texture that when you just run your hand along it 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 feels almost cold like it it feels like a like a stone a lot of people think maybe that snakes are going to be slimy when you touch them um they're not slimy at all they're totally dry um they're they're a little bit cold but like when one is kind of like 
I don't know, working its way up your arm, you realize that they're they're fairly warm on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really cool about like holding one is that you can feel like the way that they're moving with their muscles on the underside, mm. right? Because they don't have any legs to move themselves forward. So it kind of feels like a very gentle massage almost. <laughs> they're like <laughs> moving forward with the muscles on their belly. Um, well, it's funny because I, I say they don't have legs. I think it's boas and pythons, I think, have vestigial legs. Do they have like little ho- little horns almost, right? Don't they have like little tiny, they look like little hooks or like little spines, right, that are coming out, right? Yeah, so they have those, but they also, like if you look at an x-ray of a snake, you can see where like the little uh, <laughs> leg bones are that like used to be their actual legs. The nubbins. When they evolved from lizards. Yeah, they got little nubbies, <laughs> um, which I think is really cute. <laughs> um, it, you can really see it really well in an x-ray, uh, but it's it's very neat. It helps you, like, I feel like it helps you remind, it helps remind you that like they came from lizards. Um, and actually what's cool is that there are, I, I, I'm pretty sure they have these in California, legless, liz, legless lizards. Oh, have you seen the, these? they're nuts. Yeah, they actually have, they, they're in my county <laughs> that I live in. And I've I've seen them and you're just kind of like, huh, okay. And there is a difference in how they're built. I, I have seen those before. Yeah, the face is much more lizard-like. Yeah, it's like a, it is, it's distinctive. I've never looked at a, a skeleton, like an x-ray of a snake to see that. I have seen... Uh, I've been to the Smithsonian Institute of Natural History in in DC, and they have in one of their rooms that wraps around the entire the entire room a Titanoboa uh, skeleton, and it 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 wraps all the yeah. way around. <laughs> and my my youngest daughter is obsessed with the Titanoboa. She thinks it's the coolest thing <laughs> in the world. And I know we don't have anything quite that size anymore, even like the anaconda or what, or any of those. What? Wait, what is the largest snake by length? Is it is it the anaconda or or is it not? You got it. Uh, okay. Yep, it is the anaconda. Okay, because like like obviously they make horror movies about these things because they're scary. Why do you <laughs> why do you think that people are so afraid of them when like the actual, especially in the United States? When, like, there's really no reason to be that afraid of them. Like, right? There really isn't. Why do you think it's, it's so prevalent? I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Because, <laughs> you know, like you said, it is one of the most common phobias. Like, right. you know, I, I think I saw it reported that, like, up to a third of all humans <laughs> have this, uh, this fear. And there's actually, it's so common that there's a special word for it. It's ophidiophobia um, is the fear of snakes. So it's so common, right? That we decided to give it its own name. So the and if you think about it from like an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense. Like yes, the vast majority of snakes are not venomous. Um, only right. about seven percent of all species of snakes are even venomous at all. Really? Um, but still, seven percent of them are. Ven- yeah. So there's there's about like three thousand ish species of snakes. Um, only six on only about six hundred of them are venomous. And then of those, only about two hundred of them are venomous enough to mean anything to you. Like they can they can produce enough venom to mean anything at all to a human so Mm. you know really the the number of species of snakes that could even do anything to you is very small but that's still you know it i i live in florida and we have some snakes here that are quite venomous like Mm -hmm. uh we have cotton mouths and we have copperheads and you know they could do a, a good bit of damage if they were to um envenomate you so it does make sense to over time, like throughout the course of human evolution, have an aversion to snakes or at least some sort of behavior that's built in to the human being to say, oh, that thing could hurt me very badly. I'm going to avoid it. Like, I don't want to be near it. So it makes sense that humans would have learned over time to stay away from snakes. But unfortunately, just over time, it's as like humans have continued to coexist with snakes and move into places where they, their relationship with snakes has changed, 
it's it's gone beyond just avoiding them. And now mm-hmm. you have people whose fear is manifesting in like preemptively killing the snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a big problem around here of people like, you know, if they see a snake, they'll just immediately kill it. Um, which is not good at all because, you know, first of all, a lot of them aren't even venomous. Right. So you're you're killing a snake that is not a threat to you or anybody around you, um, and all it's doing is throwing the ecosystem out of whack. Um, so, like, I guess I say all that to say that, like, I get it. Like, if you're afraid of snakes, that's normal. And in you know, in the evolutionary scheme of things, it's it's like healthy to to have this sort of aversion to wanting to be near snakes. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, in say you're out in the wild and you see a wild snake around and your immediate reaction is, oh, I need to leave that snake alone. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) That is the correct thing to do is to leave the snake alone, you know, just leave it where it is. So like to anybody that is listening or to, you know, to your wife, Elise, who their immediate reaction would be, oh, I need to leave this thing alone and be far away from it. That is, yes, that is it. Um, you do not need to kill them. You do not need to, you know, chop their head off or whatever people like to do when they see a snake. Just leave it alone and you are getting an A+. plus. Like, you are rocking this snake interaction if all you're doing is leaving it alone. Well, because, like, most of them hunt rodents, right? That would be a lot of a lot of their diet. And which, of course, keeping the rodent population down is, is important in a lot of areas, right? I would assume that. Yeah, so they eat a lot of different things. Um, They eat small mammals, they eat birds, they eat frogs, they Mm -hmm. eat, uh, they even eat other snakes. (laughs) So a lot of the non-venomous snakes out there will eat the venomous snakes that are out there. So you got like king snakes, right? Mm -hmm. The king snakes will eat other snakes. Um, So, you know, you never know if you're, if that's why they say like, when you're killing snakes, you're really just making more snakes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're decreasing competition and also, you know, you're taking away the predators of the snakes. So by killing the wrong snake, you could just be making more of a snake problem for yourself down the road. Um, so yeah, they're, they're really important. And also they're, they're prey for a lot of cool things too. So like um, around where I live, we have larger birds like um, birds of prey. Mm-hmm. So eagles, hawks, falcons, stuff like that. They all eat snakes. Um, wading birds. So like herons and egrets, storks and cranes, and like all the really beautiful water birds that we have, they all eat snakes. Mm. And they're just, they, they have like a very important role to play in the ecosystem that I think a lot of people um, maybe aren't necessarily thinking about. And I, I know that a lot of times people's sort of concern is, you know, yes, the snake is out there doing its thing, but it's a risk to my family or my pets or my livestock or something like that that's out there. So, um, you know, just don't kill it is <laughs> kind of the thing, just kind of the whole thing, you know? If I, I'll, I'll give an example. So, like I said, I live in, in Florida where we have uh, cottonmouths, which are very venomous. And we had one on our back porch a couple of months ago. And it was just coiled up underneath a chair on our back porch. We could see it from the window and like inside of our dining room. And, uh, you know, I have, it's in my, in my fenced in yard where my little dog likes to run around and, you know, get into, get into stuff out there. So we saw that the snake was out there. I pointed it out to my son. He's six years old. So I showed it to him and I said, Hey, you see that snake? If it bites you, (laughs) you're going to have to go to the hospital and you're not going to have a good time. So do not touch the snake. He said, all right, got it. I don't want to go to the hospital so i will not touch the snake smart move and i just kept my dog on the leash yeah i just kept the dog on the leash and we left the snake alone and by the morning the snake had uh, eaten its fill of frogs on our porch and it had just slithered on back to the woods behind the house and you know the, no harm done to us no harm done to the snake everything was fine um i know that sometimes snakes like to get themselves into spots where they're certainly not supposed to be and maybe cannot get themselves back out um, Um, A lot of times people in our neighborhood have them in garages. Mm. Like, you know, you might leave your garage open for a little bit and then you come back in and, oh, no, there's a snake caught in there. Um, Usually you can just kind of scoot them along. Like we sometimes we use a broom um, and just kind of like, you know, scoot them along their way and they'll just go on about their business. But, you know, like if if you're ever in a situation where you have a snake around, it's not where it's supposed to be. 
and you're worried about the risk that it could pose like maybe it's in a field where you have cows or something like that and you know there's you can't necessarily tell the cow hey don't go step on that snake Mm -hmm. Uh, you know um just like either get us get a snake hook so that you can hook the snake into like a bucket and just move it somewhere or if you don't feel comfortable doing that just like call a professional um i think most like states have a fish and wildlife commission that usually you can call them and let them know hey i've got a snake on my property and they'll usually come like scoot it along for you without having to hurt the snake we uh, we just left the snake out there, uh, the the cotton mouth that was out there, and uh, at one point we just wanted to make sure it was alive because it hadn't moved in a while. <laughs> and Christian went and poked it with the with the uh, the handle of the broom, and boy, that thing! I, I mean, it struck at the broom as soon as the broom touched it. But other than that, it really it, that is what it took to get the the snake to budge. Like we were going out there all evening, and it did not look at us. It did not like move towards us. It really wanted nothing to do with us and then all it took was just like nudging it and then it struck and then it went back to ignoring us so like especially where i live in the south everyone has a story of somebody it's usually a secondhand story it's usually like well i know somebody who knows somebody and everyone has a story about somebody being chased by a snake they're slow right (laughs) there's no way that they can even like like what's the f- there's no way that certain snakes are that fast, right? Some snakes are pretty fast. Do y'all have racers over there? No. We have racers um and they're they're very quick. Um of course they are only ever going to be racing away from you. <laughs> right, okay. But like especially cottonmouths have this reputation for being really aggressive and I've also heard that rattlesnakes in parts of the country have reputations for being very like aggressive. So what what's interesting about this is that the the behavior that they're showing is Something that on the surface, at a glance, if you don't really know snakes very well, it, it can look like they're chasing you because they're moving towards you. But what's really happening is that they know you, a human being, are much bigger and much stronger than them. They don't have enough venom to kill you reliably and especially not quickly enough to get away with their lives. So they're much more interesting in fleeing from you into safer territory. So this could be like (laughs) a bush, maybe it's a log, somewhere where they can hide. Now the problem is if you are standing in between the snake and the nearest safe spot, the snake then has to book it past you to to get to where they're trying to go. So then that snake is like moving in a line that looks like it's towards you, but they're really trying to get like to something on the other side of you. So what you can try doing is like, rather than just moving backwards away from the snake, but along the same line, just try to like move to the side and get out of its path so that it will go past you and and not like, you know, you, you'll find there's a really, really good thread on Twitter. Um, it was posted by Taylor West. I believe her handle is Wild Wild T West. Um, it was really good. It had videos of snakes doing this exact thing. So she's, she's standing there in the road. She's taking the video. The snake is just flying towards her. And she takes one step to the right. And the snake just keeps going past her and slithers off into the grass. Um, and so she was kind of like, you know, oh, this is what's really happening when a snake looks mm-hmm. like it's chasing you. So, you know, that's that's every single time I try to, you know, hype up <laughs> snakes. Somebody's got a story that they want to share with me about, you know, well, one time my cousin was chased by a cottonmouth or something Always like that. Always like, a cousin. Okay, well, it may have looked that way. <laughs> like, it may have looked that way, but what's what was likely happening that the snake was trying to escape and you just happened to be standing in the way. Um, snakes don't really have any reason to strike at you uh, unless you're, like, bothering them, right? So if you're uh, doing something to disturb them or doing something to threaten them, sometimes they can kind of like you know display a little bit they'll hiss and maybe they'll try to puff themselves up hog noses uh, will do something really interesting where they'll like flatten their neck out and it it looks very similar to a cobra we don't have cobras here but they will hog noses will flatten their necks in a similar way so very cool that they'll do that so they will kind of like you know they'll bluff a little bit um, but they really have no interest in biting you <laughs> they don't they know that you will kill them immediately mm-hmm. Just the problem is that, like, since so many snakes are so good at camouflage, right? Like, 
the cottonmouth. I keep coming back to it because it's kind of like our little, <laughs> it's kind of a, a really cool snake that we have around here that I'm very interested in, but they're so well camouflaged and they're so hard to see and they're, they're ambush predators. So rather than chasing their prey or hunting their prey actively, they find a good spot and hide until prey right. comes close enough to them that right. they can strike. So they're camouflaged, they're staying completely still, they're really their main goal is hiding. Unfortunately, that makes it really easy for us to not notice them and disturb them accidentally, right? You could just be walking down a trail and you accidentally step on one. That's not necessarily your fault, but it's not the snake's fault either. The snake might bite you. <laughs> like The snake might, uh, you know, try to... Um, either something that venomous snakes all venomous snakes can do this really interesting thing they can control their venom it's not like oh every single bite automatically injects venom they have a limited amount of venom that they can use so what they can actually do is they can choose to inject less or no venom so they can actually strike as a bluff so if they know okay i like you're huge and i'm not going to be able to kill you i don't even have enough venom to kill you but i do want to scare you away from me so they might just strike and bite you as a bluff to scare you off um and this is called a dry bite so sometimes you might have a dry bite where the, you know, the fangs make contact and you could have, you know, puncture wounds from the fangs and everything like that, but you didn't get any venom in you at all. I've never heard dry biting before. That's, I mean, that's good news. That's really good news. It's, it's cool, right? Well, it's good news. It's good news for everyone involved. So, <laughs> all right, so you... Yeah, because, like, snakes get it. You know, like, they know they're not going to be able to kill you. They they really are more interested in getting away. Well, because they're not hunting anything that big. Um, so it makes sense that, like, yeah. they're, like they're, they can't, at no, they're not biter. They don't chew on anything, right? Most of the time they swallow things whole, correct? Yeah, they just kind of, kinda... <laughs> they have to just swallow things, um, which is kind of funny. And, and they don't have to eat very often either. Right. You know, like, one... Uh, like one meal will keep a snake happy for, you know, even weeks at a time if it's an adult. So they don't have to eat very often. And, and a lot of them aren't, you know, like I said, they're ambush predators. So like they're not hunting actively anyway. Um, they really don't have any reason to be chasing you down or biting you. They're just, you know, they, yes, they will use biting as a defense mechanism, but if you're worried about being bitten, uh, you know, once you notice the snake or once you see the snake, just, you know, keep a good sizable distance between you and the snake. And if you, if the snake starts to move towards you, maybe like take a quick glance around. I know in the moment, like it's easy to say outside of the moment, you know, oh, look around and see if there's any safe spots. Like <laughs> but if you can just like see if you can figure out where the snake is going and just move out of its way. Um, so that it can just go on about its business and hide from you and get out of there. Um, they, they probably don't want to be near you. They don't like to be near you. <laughs> they just want to go find somewhere to hide. Um, you know, I, I, I just get that people have their reasons for being afraid of snakes and I, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm coming on to dunk on people who are afraid of snakes like I get it up until probably like a couple of years ago I would not have touched a snake um I had to kind of get used to it and learn um and just kind of like gradually over time learn to love the snakes uh and now now that I've learned a bunch about them and and just gotten more used to them now I'm a big fan <laughs> but like I've gone I've gone on the journey like I've I've been at the different stops along the way to liking snakes so like I relate and I feel deeply for people who do have that kind of uneasiness about snakes I just hope that we can uh up the enthusiasm for them a little bit <laughs> see I put snakes in the same category as say like sharks and, and like and, and, mm. and that idea of that like there's an unhealthy fear of them now can they be dangerous obviously like you like we're talking about venom and and like in sharks you're talking about things that can actually like bite off chunks and things but like the the chance of you getting hurt or attacked or actively stalked by any of these creatures is so very rare or or like it, there's just no ch there's really the chances are are super low and so it's created like this idea that like oh these things need to be hunted or these things need to be hurt when honestly just leave them alone 
And so, like, having a healthy respect for either, like, the danger that could be caused is, is fine, but there's no reason to have an active, like, fear of these things. Um, so I, that's kind of how I've always felt about it. You, you mentioned like the, the chances of actually being harmed by these things. I wanted to, I wanted to bring up some stats that I had love compiled. Stats. I love, uh, so I'm, love I'm, stats. Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm speaking from within the United States, by the way. I know that in other parts of the world, um, venomous snakes are more of a problem than they are here. Uh, but I'm in the U.S., and so this is what I have uh, <laughs> the perspective of. The CDC reports that venomous snakes are responsible for about five deaths per year. That's it? Um, Gosh, dang. Five. Yeah. Uh, deaths and and they bite way more people. I they bite like a few thousand people per year, um, and only five of them result in deaths. And usually that is because the person either did not receive treatment quickly enough, or maybe they uh, had like an allergy. Oh. Like maybe they had a severe allergic reaction to the snake venom, and and it had a more severe reaction than it normally does but so yeah they they you know they'll bite a few thousand people per year you know some people just really cannot stay away (laughs) you know some people will see a snake and decide they need to grab it um so usually mishandling uh results in a bite but they bite thousands of people per year and only five of them on average um end in a fatality and to put that in perspective the cdc also reports that lightning strikes are responsible for about 35 deaths per year so So you are seven times more likely to be killed by lightning (laughs) than by a venomous snake (laughs) that's that's really good perspective like you have a better chance at being struck by lightning (laughs) that's amazing see i didn't know that about the allergy so it's similar to something like a bee sting or a wasp sting or something like that where you have, you're probably more, You can, see, I could be allergic to snake venom and I wouldn't even know it <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you would probably not want to find out. No, I don't want to find <laughs> out, right. That's so interesting though. I didn't know that about the about allergies. The um, What's your favorite snake? If you or, or how about this, top three if it's too hard to narrow it down. Uh, but like, what's your favorite snake? I really like green tree pythons. Ooh. Um, these are the the green snakes. You can usually you usually will see them flopped over tree branches. Um, I think they look kind of like a lazy pancake, or like <laughs> they look like in that um, Dolly painting of the clocks. You know where the clocks are all <laughs> yeah, melted and yeah. flopped over the branches. That's what the snake reminds me of. Um, that's probably the one that like I think because when I was a little kid, I had a children's book called Verdi. And it was about a green tree python. And so oh. I think that was maybe why I have such a fondness for these snakes. I also like Eastern indigo snakes. Um, it's a snake that we have over here in Florida. Uh, it's a native species and it is not venomous at all. Um, but they're just this really beautiful, sleek, totally jet black snake that has a really cool iridescence in the light. Um, and then recently I've developed a fondness for hognose snakes. Um, a, a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine got their first snake pet ever and it is a hognose. And while they were out of town, I got to snake sit for this hognose snake. <laughs> so they brought the snake over to my house and set up a little a little enclosure for the snake and and he came and hang out hung out with me for a while and I really was charmed by him. He was very cute. I I had never like been up close and personal with a hognose snake before, but I was very impressed. Um yeah, I would charm. I would say like yes, I was so <laughs> into this hognose snake. Snake charm. So like <laughs> yes. So, so something I that I had kind of prepared. Oh, I don't I don't know like if you wanted to lead into this, but I had kind of like prepared some advice for people that wanted to learn how to like snakes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously like learning more about them is is the first step, right? Like I feel like that helped me a lot so that I could understand logically, you know, what was going on. Even there's like some snakes that literally cannot bite you. Like they don't even have like like garter snakes for example, they don't even 
have the right kind of teeth. Like their teeth aren't even strong enough to bite you. Um, so like just learning more about the different types of snakes in your area. Mm -hmm. Like, are they venomous? Are they of any threat to you at all? Learning how to identify them and then just learning like more about their behavior and what to look for in the snakes. Um, and then once you kind of like have a ground knowledge and you're starting to be like, okay, all right, I have an understanding with the snakes. Then I think what, what really helps for me, which might not work for everybody, but for me, developing an appreciation for their just their beauty really helped. <laughs> so you can start by like just looking at photos on the internet, right? So like look up ball pythons and especially look up pictures of like ball pythons wearing hats. That is going to sound so silly, but a lot of people have pet pet ball pythons that they have put in tiny hats. Um, and sometimes people will like draw little arms on them to make them look like they're like posing. They're so cute. They're incredibly cute. They're plump and they are round. They don't have that sort of um, sinister looking uh, like face that you'll see in cartoons. Usually in cartoons, you'll see snakes depicted as having this sort of very like sinister looking face, but they're, they have more of a round like puppy dog almost face. Um, Look at the hog nose too. The hog nose snake has this little pointy pig nose. It's a little nose that like points straight up and it's it's like a little sharp almost, um, but it's really cute. There's one called the Brazilian rainbow boa and it looks like a regular like boa, but in the right light, like in the sunlight, there's this iridescent sheen on the scales that looks like just a big, huge rainbow all down their scales. And it's really beautiful. Um, gosh, I had one more and it just escaped from me, but, uh, like just like looking up the different like pictures of how beautiful snakes can be, I feel like can help people kind of come around to the idea of, you know, okay, maybe this is an animal I can vibe with. <laughs> like maybe we can have a connection based on like, I just think this is a beautiful animal. Um, lots of them are just really gorgeous and you can, you know, you can go to your zoo. Um, your, your, if you have a zoo near you, you, they probably have a reptile exhibit. And I'm more, I'm certain that the staff at your zoo would be more than happy to take a few minutes and like kind of show you around and, you know, give you an idea of what kind of snakes you're looking at and get, help you get to know them a little bit better. Um, sometimes they will even have, like, have you ever been to like a zoo or a theme park and they do like a show where they bring like out, they bring out like birds and reptiles and stuff and, and like show them to an audience and stuff. Have you ever seen these? Yeah, we have what's called, it's called the California Living Museum. Uh, I'll, I'll actually send you a link. You'll, you'll, oh, you'll, you'll cool. dig this place. Uh, and basically what they do is they, they take in animals from our local area that have been hurt and they, re their, their entire thing is for rehabilitation and, and release. That's, that's the main thing that they do. Uh, it, it's a fantastic place. Uh, they release, I think it's um, like 85% of what they take in, they release back into the wild. Our house, uh, we live in, in some acreage. We, we used to be a repository for their barn owls um, that were being rehabilitated. It was, a, it was fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. So we had zero uh, mice uh, on our property. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they have what they like to call their ambassador animals. And their ambassador animals, like they have um, like a tortoise, and so they will bring those out during tours. Um, I don't know if one of their, I'll have to look up if one of their ambassador animals is is one of, because I know that they have um, some some of the snakes here that are non-venomous, of course. Um, they do have a reptile exhibit, and they have venomous and non-venomous uh, snakes. But I don't know if those are the ambassador ones. And basically the ambassador ones are ones that you can touch or see at, at a more up close and personal um, level. Yeah, definitely. And like, also, if you're, if you're, I know you said you you like reptiles already, mm -hmm. and you you have experience with your pet reptiles. Um, but for anybody that is kind of not even there yet, um, starting with some tamer, chiller reptiles <laughs> can be a good transition. Um, you know, uh, go to a pet store and most pet stores probably sell some basic reptiles they probably sell bearded dragons and bearded dragons are an amazing like 
intro to reptiles. So if you're like, you've never touched a lizard or you've never, you know, interacted with a reptile at all and you want to like learn how to interact with reptiles, start with bearded dragons. Mm. They, they do not move. <laughs> they're, they're so chill. They are so relaxed. And tortoises also are very chill and calm and, and tortoises aren't, you know, they're herbivores. So they have no reason to want to bite you. They're not going to want to bite you. Um, but, you know, starting off with something that like is a reptile, but is maybe a little bit more of like an intro reptile, <laughs> something that is very calm, something that's not going to make a lot of sudden movements um, would be really helpful for like starting to develop that fondness for reptiles. And then, you know, if you if you feel up for it, if you feel like you're willing to go like to the contact level of developing your relationship with snakes. Um, a lot of times, like you said, like zoo, zoos will have ambassador animals that they'll let you sort of interact with. It's really cool if you've never pet a snake before. It is very nice. It feels very, I, I have said before that I think they feel kind of like a worry stone almost. <laughs> like it has that sort of effect of a worry stone. Like it's a very soothing, it's a very calming sort of feeling. So I love the way that snakes feel. Um, and if you can't get to a zoo, uh, look look around and see if any local pet stores near you sell snakes. Um, if they do, they probably sell ball pythons, which are like, I would probably recommend as like your first <laughs> snake that you'll probably want to, you know, brave if you're going to try to interact with them. So see if you can go and, and maybe just look, like just look at the snakes when you can get all up close to their cages and you can, can get a really good look at them. Maybe talk to the staff a little bit about what they're like. If it is a slow day, sometimes you could get pretty lucky and the pet store staff may be willing to get the snake out and let you touch it. Now your mile, your mileage may vary due to COVID. Um, I don't know if they're still allowing people to do that, but <laughs> it kind of depends. You could kind you could probably probably even call ahead like you could probably call the store and be like hey I you know if I were to come in would I be able to see a snake like would I be able to touch a snake if if I were to and they'll probably give you an idea of what the likelihood of that happening is but when I worked at a pet store that was like my favorite thing to do like I would kind of um like seek out like little kids that seemed like they were kind of really interested in the reptiles and I would kind of come over to them and be like hey kid <laughs> you want to you see one of the snakes and they'd be like yeah so I'd like get them out like and so then the, you know like the the line at the cash register would be like starting to get long a little bit and they're like we need more cashiers and I'd be like I'm sorry I'm actually helping this customer right now and I'm just over there like playing with a snake with like a couple of little like little preteen boys that are like man that's so cool I'm like yeah I know I'm supposed to be working right now so I I love the idea of of building up to the snake by, by trying out other reptiles. I think that's a really, really, really good advice for people. Uh, because it, I felt like it, I felt like it worked really well in the pet store. Like a lot of times, older people that maybe um, had gone their entire lives just not liking reptiles in general, um, usually like through like showing their kids, you know, the bearded dragons. Then I could just really quickly be like, "Oh, does mom want to touch the bearded dragon?" And then they'd, they'd be kind of reluctant for a second and be like, mm, "I guess." <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you sanitize your hands afterwards because reptiles can carry salmonella. Um, so make sure that you don't have any, uh, make sure that you just wash your hands really well after you touch any reptile. Just wash your hands in general. I think everyone's pretty, pretty into washing oh, yeah. hands right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, it's been, it's been 10 minutes since I've washed my hands just during this, just during this episode. So I, I've gotten up, <laughs> washed my hands a few times just to make sure. No, <laughs> I totally get it though. Oh man. I, I, I do remember the green the green tree python being on the cover of of a zoo book magazine, uh, and I remember oh I loved yeah those. begging my mom to get us a zoo book prescription <laughs> that would come on during Saturday morning cartoons, and she did eventually got get from a yard sale. She got that green box that looked like a little travel box that had all the uh, like trading cards of animals in them. Uh, and I don't know if you remember that oh. coming with the zoo book as well. 
but the zoo books would come with this this these decks of cards that came in a like a tackle box and anyway we did get that that was pretty oh, awesome I, I had to check I had to check my zoo books out from the library yeah. so I did not have the cards. no so yeah so we didn't have zoo books but she got from a yard sale the the trading card things and so we were we were pretty stoked about that I wish I knew where it was at still it's probably somewhere in their garage I'd love to go find those because those were amazing oh man uh, but this episode may be coming to an end but the work is just beginning Ellen has given us the zoo books for a great week and for the response edition of this episode I'll be spending the week taking as much of her advice as I can fit in and I'll report back to you uh, in our second response episode. Now, in the meantime, I hope you'll try her advice too, or if you can add more to the conversation with your own expertise, you can contact me, um, you know, it, it, these different ways. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at like two like things. You can also leave a message on the like line at 661-279-0130, or you can email us at I like to like things podcast at gmail.com. And I'll read or play any message on the episode, uh, the response episode. Now, if they're positive now, this like a lot of different things can start a lot of strong emotions towards people but remember the show is all about having positive attitudes towards new things so um try your best folks try your best with this one i i i i think this might challenge some people and um that's that's good that's good to be challenged from now uh, time to time uh, i'm looking forward to it if i could go out and touch a snake right now i i absolutely would now if you'd like to support the show via patreon you can go to patreon.com slash i like to like things we can join people like gerald galindo morgan dave jay paul parasac and tony now ellen where can they find you on social media yeah, we are on Twitter. Our handle is at Just the Zoo of Us. We also have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. I really recommend joining the group. It's pretty poppin'. And uh, we're also on Instagram at The Zoo of Us. I will admit I am a little less active on Instagram than I would like to be. Um, but we also just have a straight up website that has like links to all of our socials and where you can find us, where you can listen to us, stuff like that. That is justthezooofus.com. Yeah, and I'll include, of course, all of that in in the show notes. But Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. This is it's going to be a really fun one. Uh, I, I, I can tell. I think the fans are going to really like it. <laughs> but thank you so much, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed getting to geek out about snakes with you. <laughs> That's so good. I'm glad. It makes me really happy. And I will see you all next week when the mission is accomplished. And remember, we can make the world a little brighter, a little friendlier, and a little more enjoyable by liking a few more things. 